This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. Welcome to the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, co-founder and editorial director of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, Jamie Bogner. I'm in Wichita, Kansas for today's episode of the podcast. And sitting across from me are Ian Crane and Nathan Jackal of Central Standard Brewing. Welcome to the podcast, Ian and Nathan. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Glad to have you here. Yeah, thank you. Wichita, Kansas, maybe not on everyone's top of beer tourism lists. And yet uh, you all have quite a number of gold medals here from the Great American Beer Festival. Two, in fact, for two different beers and a silver medal for another one. Uh, making farmhouse beers and uh, interesting historical inspired beers. We're going to talk about this approach that you all take to those things. Making beers with quite yeast, both IPAs and more farmhouse approach uh, to beers using quite. We're going to talk about, uh, yeah, making mixed fermentation beers, controlling that acidity and building compelling flavors over time uh, using your kind of Solera approach to making farmhouse beers. And I think we're probably going to talk about making hoppy beers, too, because you guys do a, make a pretty mean, hazy pale ale and pretty mean, hazy IPAs. Also, we're going to dive into all of those subjects. But before we do, like your flagship beer, you can rely on G&D chillers for the same quality and consistency. G&D guarantees that every chiller they build will hit 28 degrees without breaking a sweat. They never stop. They draft. They craft. They service each and every brewery, big or small, all in an effort to build one hell of a chiller. For nearly 30 years, G&D has been committed to cold. Reach out for a quote today at gdchillers.com. Also, even the best yeast deserves a helping hand with seltzer fermentation, which is why Pathfinder N-Pure Seltzer Nutrient ensures reliable and complete fermentation of a seltzer base while providing a clean, neutral fermentation profile. Not to mention it provides all the essential nutrients required by yeast for production of hard seltzer bases fermented from those sweet, refined sugars. Give your seltzer a boost by visiting bsgcraftbrewing.com and searching for Pathfinder and Pure Seltzer Nutrient or call BSG at 1-800-374-2739. So Ian, give me the background here on uh, on Central Standard. Uh, where where'd you guys come from? What was that arc through brewing, and uh, how? Uh, and then you know, also I'd love to hear your story too, Nathan. But uh, you just walk me through the the brewery history and then personal beer history too. Sure. Yeah. So uh, you know, we got started. This this starts as a, as a homebrew story um, back in two thousand five, and Andy Boyd. Um, partner in, in in the business uh we were in college together and uh started brewing beer um as just a way to kind of get away from the house get away from studies at school and um so it just started as a as kind of a hangout brewing beer together um making beer drinking it and and hosting parties and so loving beer loving food um we we got into in, into doing this uh back as just a as a fun little hobby i, I hear you're a pretty banging chef too you know it's fun to get on the grill the room rumors have it whole whole hog was was something we really got into as well so uh built a cuban style uh hog pit in the backyard and uh that's where it all started yeah um and so you know we got into mixed hospitality it's just been in your blood since college huh it is you know and and um uh we we really got into this mixed fermentation stuff and we're like man sour beers these this is this is some magic right here 
And um, so we were doing that in 2006, seven, and of course doing, doing hoppy beers, stouts, all the fun stuff uh, in between those lines of, of sour and, and, and stout. But um, we, we definitely loved our Belgian beers and loved mixed fermentation, sours, funky beers. And um, so that was kind of a college project that, that slowly turned into an idea of building this into a, into a business. I love it. So you just developed this hankering for sour beer in college. Yeah. It's remarkably forward thinking and uh, forward looking of you. Yeah, definitely. And, and, you know, we, we were big fans of Michael Tonsmeyer and, uh, he had a blog back in the, in the day. And right, right. We could mad gain fermentationist. Yeah, absolutely. The mad fermentationist and uh, shout out to him, uh, because he had a blog where we could kind of relate to what he was doing, get ideas with what he was doing. And, uh, so he was definitely a, uh, uh, you know, an inspiration back in 2006, seven, right. you know, uh, eight. And, 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 um, so it was, um, you know, definitely some props to him, but, uh, so yeah, it started as, as, as a hobby and, uh, way to get friends together to, to eat good and drink good. Um, and then we finally got a business plan together. Um, I, uh, had moved to Vietnam for a year with my my before she was my wife um so we kind of took it took a year to to get away before we had kids but put a business plan together came back in 2012 it was mid 2011 maybe and and then kind of hit the ground running looked for a building uh secured a spot and um in 2013 bought a building and it took a couple of years to get the building renovated we had to deal with a zoning issue across we have a, a park across the street from us we're in a cool little neighborhood so you know god forbid you should put a brewery across the street from a park yeah that definitely you know causes alarm with the city of why would you do that um, <laughs> yeah we don't we don't want a brewery across from a, a you, park you can't you know? corrupt the youth like that no yeah yeah um so long story short we we got the approval from the city and uh open our doors in you know, late July, early August of 2015. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're six years strong now. And, um, yeah. Nathan, is your, uh, beer history, uh, a parallel that of Ian's? Um, I, I definitely kind of found my way to, to, uh, you know, sour funky beers at a relatively early age. Like, like most of us, you know, started drinking and, uh, once I was old enough to go somewhere legally to drink, I always give credit to the old Chicago's of the world for breaking me into, you know, things that were not around at the time. Uh, I'm a little older than these guys. And so they're sure. you know, the availability of beers. Uh, were not quite as good as, as they are now, obviously. Um, but it, it pretty much snowballed for me and, um, really decided, uh, over the, over the course of a few years that I really, I wanted to brew beer. Um, I was, I was self-employed at the time, um, uh, I had a, I had a little aquarium business that kept me, that kept me busy, that, uh, gave me a, kind of gave me a little bit of a jump start into, uh, water chemistry and, uh, and also free time to get to, to brewing a little bit. And so I was able to get my foot in the door at the time of the only brewery in town back in 2012, 11 or 12, um, river city brewing started there and was able to do some fun stuff there. And that's where I met Ian and Andy. Like they, they were homebrewing and they were bringing in beers that 
I mean, the kind of stuff that I wanted to brew as well. And we, and we pretty much immediately started vibing with beer and, um, they had, a, they had a regular Friday brew over at Ian's house. Uh, and I started coming and pretty soon we, they asked me to come along and I was pretty stoked to do it. So, yeah, it's fun to watch that kind of arc develop socially and, you know, come out of that kind of passion piece where the business came from this thing that everybody loved doing together and now for sure even in this kind of commercial environment it's just a bigger expression of that same kind of thing now that's cool so you did you got a brewery launched 2015 you open your doors yeah um you know as you all you know had been brewing for yourselves obviously you can brew anything you want um but then as you started thinking about the business that you're going to you know build here uh, how did you think about what beers were going to be the beers that were going to uh, put you guys on a map or attract customers or help you connect with people? Well, we started off brewing, you know, a lot more Belgian style beers, right? Um, beers that we loved and and we still do, but you know, not to the same extent that uh, <laughs> sure, we did sure, previously. Sure. Um, and they're certainly the fans of those beers, but um, you know, we've just evolved as we've gone along and uh, been inspired by lots of other brewers and and uh, you know. Uh, found our own way through that yeah um just what nathan said you know what we we definitely wanted uh some mixed culture beer in oak and so that was really important so we uh got some thousand liter punchins or fooders if you will and um and so we we started with a uh, a thousand liter hungarian oak punchin which uh resides our uh, standard issue um and we're still pulling off that today and then we had like a, a 25 barrel uh, French oak giant fooder um, that we still use and pull off of to this day. But that was that was a couple important pieces that we wanted is is having mixed fermentation and uh, an oak. And so in the home brewing days, we also um, got a, a port wine barrel that that lives in my basement that we uh, named Moondog. <laughs> the mothership. <laughs> and 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 from that barrel, Moondog. Uh, we um, made a crazy mixed culture um, with a with kind of a, a, a dark Belgian strong. And um, that was kind of the mother culture that we pulled and uh, propped up to um, basically dose almost all of our mixed culture uh, oak. And, and it still is, is alive and kicking to this day. I want to talk to you about how you went about building that culture and then how you've gone along maintaining it but before we do that the most common complaint about hard seltzers they need more flavor extract alone is a weak flavoring agent and can leave a chemical aftertaste but there is a better way to craft concentrate blends from old orchard or packs with real fruit first no added sugars and just enough natural flavor breweries are turning to old orchard concentrates for seltzer with more body color and aroma Turn seltzer skeptics into supporters with seltzer that drinks like a beer. Get started at www.oldorchard.com slash brewer. Also, still emptying those overflowing waste bins of crushed low fills or undercarbonated cans every canning day. It's time to fill like a pro. Pro fill can fillers from Pro Brew. Use rotary true counter pressure gravity filling and seaming technology to run at speeds of 100 to 300 cans per minute. With minimal DO pickup, stop wasting perfectly good beer. Email ProBrew at contact at ProBrew.com 
today and of course tell them that you heard it here on the craft beer and brewing podcast so you guys got into mixed culture you're home brewing this uh how did you go about building that culture and then uh you know from building that how have uh because it's been rolling here in the solera method in the punchins behind us right now you know for years and years and years how talk to me about how you have maintained that and guided it so that it continues to produce beer um you know that hits the kind of flavor goals that you have for it right so um you know back when we got the the moon dog barrel going um there used to be this program called belgium in a box and so right we, right we did a group buy and and bought as, as much uh mixed culture uh you know cantillon uh was was definitely a big part of that and um uh created a uh a mixed culture slurry and that was kind of the one of the first beginnings, one of the first mixed culture that we, that we added to our to our barrel. Um, and being on a homebrew level, you know, when we're doing ten gallons at a time, we had to fill this this fifty uh, eight gallon wine barrel, whatever the uh, uh, the amount was. And so that was brew day, brew day, Oof. brew day. Right, and so right. We get this thing filled. Uh, I think we inoculated it with uh, some, you know, Dupont saison yeast. Uh, as well as our our uh, slurry of, of mixed culture that we had kind of collected from uh, uh, various Belgian bottles. And, um, you know, this has been quite a few years ago, so I'm a little rusty on exactly um, how it all went down. But that was definitely a, a big part of it. And um, we, we kept it happy, kept it healthy. Um, we did a few pulls on it, um, multiple pulls on it, would refill doing a, a similar Solera Just method. Just top it all, but yeah. yeah top it off once we pulled beer out then we you know we'd rack out and right. then, and then and then brew and and this is you know two years before we opened the business um but just kept it happy kept it healthy and um that was that was the uh humble beginnings of of what the moondog culture was and moondog is still in your basement moondog's still there so you that's your insurance policy in case something yeah. happens here you can always <laughs> go back to moondog down there right yeah and that's vice it. versa imagine. yeah that's the one isolated barrel that still lives in my basement. Nice temperate, you know, 60 degrees, you know, 65 sure. degrees. And so it's just, uh, it's hanging out and we're, we, we take good care of it. Um, so you still pull some beer off of it and add, add more beer, yeah. fresh wort to it and top it up. Farther and few between, but we're still taking care of it. Sure. And, uh, and, and, you know, at this time now we're, we're pulling cultures off of, uh, you know, our, 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 our various punchins and fruiters right. and, uh, keeping those happy and, and, uh, and active, but, um, you still got to, Show love to the mother, the mother culture. Sure, sure. So, um, she's in good hands. So with this, uh, you know, this grisette, the standard issue, which you have uh, been recognized for, uh, that is now living in the punchins behind us right here. We were just tasting some before we started the podcast, you know, pulling some samples. Um, you know, as, as you're talking about, like, you have the same base in these two parallel punchins that are identical sizes sitting right next to each other in the same kind of environment so same ambient temperature everything is the same over the years they have developed different flavors slightly different flavors absolutely yeah and uh you know and so sometimes you will blend between the two sometimes you will you know try to adjust you know certainly um the growth of acidity is something that you want to control for talk to me about the kind of steps that you've taken to massage you know, as you rebrew and then, you know, pull, pull beer off and blend between the two, add more beer back in how you've, you know, worked to, again, kind of keep it going in a direction 
that you enjoy so that it makes beer that tastes the way that you want it to taste? Well, so that's something we've, we've had to obviously, um, as, as the, as the culture has matured and as we take pulls and you know, always careful to, to not take too much to you know lose momentum. Like when we tasted it today, you know, it's really developing some character that is, that we're crazy about. Um, and you know, obviously we pulled the whole, the whole vessel then, you know, we're going to lose a lot of momentum. And so having both to, to blend with one momentum, I like thinking about it in those terms, like this is an energy that's moving forward and you don't want to for sure. And and, and while they're both different, like, you know, they're, they're both great. And so, you know, having characteristics from both has been really nice, you know, over time, there was certainly a period where acidity came a little stronger than we, when we wanted. And, um, you know, we bump up a bump up IBUs a little bit and, um, maybe then back off a touch, uh, you know, so it's, it's this constant balance, uh, but we're, you know, but, but having the ability to blend certainly helps. Sure. When yeah. you say bump up acidity, like, you know, what would, what was your original kind of, you know, wort hopped out and, and what would you bump up to? Well, the idea of like four or five IBUs or talking about 10 yeah, IBUs. I mean, like, I mean, I think there was times where we didn't, maybe we had a tiny little bit in there. Like, uh, yeah. You know, it, when we first started, uh, filling the tank, we were we were going for you know uh, seven to eight IBU, yeah. uh, relatively low, and then uh, through uh, a few turns on it, um, you know acidity started to get uh, sure. uh, ramp up a bit, and so we'd take it up to you know uh, fifteen, sixteen, right. eighteen, and then we found okay, this is this is curbing that that acidity. We're in a pretty good place, um, and so um, you know checks and balances of acidity. Uh, by uh upping our ibu is 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 always a, a good place to uh to kind of um keep it in check if you will sure um and right now it's it's tasting great there's just a nice bright pop of acidity and white wine and and and, and lemon that is is great and, and those flavors are brought out by that just that nice little pop of acidity so it's in a good spot so you know the next time we pull off of this um Keeping IBU probably around fourteen or fifteen is, yeah. is is kind of a sweet spot, and and it offers just that touch of, of, of bitterness that that uh, we kind of want in a beer like this. As you're choosing hops to use in these mix in this mixed fermentation, you know now it's also a pretty light, low ABV beer, you know, and so you know getting the kind of expression that you want out of it, you know, it has to be a, a bit of a delicate balancing act. Uh, how do you choose hops, and uh, you know, is there a a process behind that saucer type noble hops or yeah. what we've we've always used and um continue to use uh you know a a, a check saws um we have also used a uh an aged hop we're using a pellet um we do some some aging of whole cone ourselves uh in this scenario um using a little bit of of, of that nice ice of valeric acid funky <laughs> uh you know yeah uh, parmesan cheese hop um, in, in a small amount adds to the, uh, the complexity of the beer. So we'll, 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 uh, you know, and it doesn't take a lot, you know, it's a, it's a low ABV beer. And sure. so we're looking at, you know, a few pounds, maybe four or five pounds in a, in a, you know, seven barrel batch. Um, we only pull, you know, no more than, than half of the beer off of a punching at a time. Right. So relatively low numbers on the hops, but, um, a, 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 a Styrian Golding or a Sauzer hop, and mixed in with a little bit of uh, aged funky pellet um, has been a really nice place to be. That's interesting. Through. So you're, eight, you're using a blend of, uh, 
you know, of fresher pellets and aged hops. What do you, how do you describe the, the impact of those things together? Well, I, I love the story of where we came up with that beer, the, you know, the name standard issue. We, we, Ian and I were in his basement and we were thinking about the beers we were going to open with and start, and, uh, and we, and we had this culture that we knew was something special and, um, you know, the, the idea of standard issue was we know we were going to be doing uh, a lot of beers with this culture that were fruited or bigger. And, um, you know, uh, but we wanted something that was like a kind of a through line through the whole program that was like this beer is, you know, rustic and complex with a pretty uh, uh, complicated grain bill. Uh, but the real star, you know, so, you know, a blend of hops, aged hops, uh, but the real star being but being the house culture. And so, so standard issue was that the idea of that was, was just something that just rep- represents that, that what we're doing and, and, and that's, and showing the evolution of it through, through, through time has been really fun. So sure. and, and it certainly changed and evolved in, in process. Uh, we didn't really have a lot of age tops, uh, when right, we started, right. um, but over time, you know, there's those, those build up and we have much more, uh, in our arsenal to, to use. So. Sure. Have you ever had the biochem kids, uh, you know, tear it apart and uh, figure out what's inside of it? Uh, didn't we send some out to Jeff Mello at uh, Bootleg? Oh, fun! I, I think we did like a while back. Um, yeah, it's 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 fun to get reports back, and and definitely adding in the aged hop element just adds to the uh, the, the 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 funky like Belgian esque uh, uh, character. And and you know, back when we were just using, you know. Uh, Sazer noble hops um that was that was i mean hell that was that's it's great but just adding a little bit of complexity with uh with with aged hops just takes it um to a whole nother level because that that character and throwing them in like as a as a late late boil kind of whirlpool um it really sticks around i mean because that 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 character from from a, a funky hop i mean if if you know you know it's like uh it's uh it's 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 intense it's interesting and and it definitely sticks around. It's you know it's such a, a funny one when it comes to kind of connecting with these ideas that we have about that funky Belgian style beer or Belgian or uh, origin beer. Um, that that is such a difference that if if it doesn't capture some of that you know funky weirdness or some of those kind of you know sulfur uh, sulfur compounds that just sell this idea of you know of complex funk and minerality and and whatnot then it just it feels more one note and that uh, and that finding aged hops has made such a difference for american funky sour beer makers absolutely i mean and we're all as brewers of these kind of beers we're all chasing those you know those lambics and goose that, that we've sure, blown sure. our minds, right? And so, you know, not just to copy them, but because no, that's but the being fun inspired by them, depth and of complexity sure. that uh, that you find attractive. And over time, you know, we've been lucky enough to have some vessels. You know, these guys, other barrels, our food, you know, other fooders, where we're seeing hints of that of that real elusive funk that. It, we're all chasing right so sure so sure it's pretty exciting yeah you know and when we when we find it and there are breweries like uh you know of course jester king and beechwood For and sure, others yeah. that have uh just you know figured out ways to nail that character um you know and and it's reflected be, you know even when we taste those because and i think in a lot of ways you know those of us who love these styles of beer have 
that romantic notion attraction to the experience of drinking those beers in Belgium. And when you can kind of capture some of that character, then it, it just becomes that kind of reminder. Even better when it captures some of that character, but also connects to your also your terroir and your brewery too and that's we've always tried to use we we use a lot of being from kansas we you know we, we grow the, the best wheat in the world so uh it's a, a bold claim my friend i mean uh, <laughs> hey, hey uh, ready ready to ready to stand for it uh, okay uh we but we use a lot of raw wheat um and there's, there's certainly raw wheat in standard issue and yeah. a lot of our other beers even we use raw wheat in ipas we use it in a lot of beers because we love it and it's a you know it's a direct connection to kansas so sure sure yeah i love the wheat kansas you know we're uh in, in the uh the the bread uh the bread belt what do we call it bread basket the bread basket sure <laughs> yeah, okay yeah but anyways yeah tons of wheat's grown here so uh we go just up the road to uh kaufman seed and uh it's there's a, a cool little like amish community up there so you see a lot of horse and buggies and uh you got to slow down because you're uh you're in you know horse and buggy country so you don't want to be speeding by but uh so it's about i about have a, come across <laughs> some of those road signs the yeah. yellow road sign with the the oh, horse yeah. and buggy yeah. on it like warning horse and buggy ahead sure so about an hour north of here, we head up there and go to Kaufman Seed and get their uh, winter red wheat. Yeah. Red wheat's a nice, hearty wheat that uh, sprouts in the fall and then kind of lies dormant and gains moisture through the wintertime and then uh, continues to grow through the spring and is harvested in, 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 this, in our neck of the woods, uh, you know, around uh, late May, mid-June. Um, and it's a, it's a nice wheat that um, we like and we look for kind of a higher protein content at like 14 to 15%. So we'll look through a few different uh, uh, variants that they have and uh, shoot for a little bit higher protein content um, kind of helps with, with uh, you know, protecting the body of the beer. Mm. Um, so uh, we, we definitely look through the notes and see what's available and uh, um, shoot for just a little bit higher protein. And most of these farmers are like, oh, you don't want high protein. That's great. And, you know, because they shoot for lower protein. Right, but, right. but we're searching you're, for. You're going to take the stuff off their hands yeah, that they like, can't. They don't want to sell to other people. Indeed. So, you know, that with another uh, kind of uh, an ancient cousin uh, relative of wheat is spelt. And, yeah. and so we use a flaked spelt as well. And that's, and that's going to be a, a bit higher protein content as well. So flaked spelt red wheat, um, some toasted buckwheat um, is something else that we like in a, in a, in a small percentage. Um, so we add that to the uh, grist as well. And, um, you know, a floor malted pilsner um, is also kind of part of that, of, of the layering process there. And, um, and this is standard issue that we're yeah, talking about. Yeah, and we're still that on standard issue. different grains. Um, and, and so there's been an evolution with it. Um, and, yeah. and sometimes we, we've got uh, some oats. Um, sometimes we pull it out. Um, we traditionally always have the buckwheat and we have some, some, some native Kansas wheat. And so those are a couple of things that are always in it. Um, but we've kind of had a revolving door of, of different um, adjunct grains that will uh, pull out depending on what we've got available. Um, so um, in the time of the year, um, but we like to have some, some nice kind of raw components um, sure. And some some definite things you'd find on a on a farm that's that's readily available. Um, spelt is sometimes in it. Sometimes we'll pull it and we'll just have Kansas red wheat um, along with. But Pilsner is always um, part of our base. Um, and um, is there a particular Pilsner malt that you uh, you're attracted to? Um, Weirman. 
We got the overalls. Oh. We got to give them props. <laughs> That's right. Some fluor malted. Um, sure, um, sure. We use that. And Barca is is, is, is a beautiful pilsner. So right. uh, that's always top of the list. If we've got it, we're we're going to use it. Yeah, yeah. No, it makes sense. What kind of percentages do these normally break out into uh, in terms of base malt versus you know, some of these uh, sprinklings of, of specialty malts that you work into uh, standard issue? I mean, we might go, you know, base malt might be 60 65 percent with uh with a raw red wheat uh, upwards of 20 22 percent mm. um we might throw a touch of abbey malt in um just for a little bit of a of, of a, a crystal character but in relatively low numbers like three and a half percent and then in in like a flaked spell um you know three percent three and a half percent so relatively low numbers when it comes to you know adjunct uh our, our buckwheat is about a percent and a half to two percent can you really taste taste it at a percent and a half the buckwheat can be that's why it's so small because yeah. the buckwheat being toasted especially uh, it can it can get really dominant yeah just a touch it's got a, it's got a, a a strong toasted flavor so just just yeah. a, just a little bit is is a nice very uh uh low level that that we just we always throw in at, at right as low as a percent and a half upwards of of, of two and a half to three but not much over that because it just adds that little bit of toasted quality that we're looking for and we don't need much more than that uh when it comes to the the culture uh, have you added brett's at any point to that has there ever been a point where you're like yeah i just want to like you know give that bit a little bit of boost or uh are you still rolling with the original culture as it's developed you know the original culture is still doing a great job we we have added uh saison yeast before you know so just a nice healthy saccharomyces just to kind of um get some some sack into play again right right. and um so you know every year and a half or so we might build up a a nice healthy uh stir plate of uh of saison depending on what saison yeast we're using um might be uh, a blagy uh might be a blend um kind of depends on what we've got on hand what we're using but um um, pumping that in as we're as we're kind of doing our our next, um, uh, you know, our, our next turn on it. Um, yeah, seems to kind of um, keep everything healthy. Sure, keep our our, our um, bacteria and our bread in check, and uh, it just kind of like it's it's just kind of like a shot in the arm of, of of some nice sack, and 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 it seems to do well for us. Yeah, yeah, and you know what is uh you know as you're brewing this, what's that intent? What's that original gravity? And I imagine as it sits here for years at a time then it it hits dryness because oh, it, it gets gonna, all it gets all the way down it's yeah, gonna be sure. yeah yeah it's gonna be at uh yeah fully dry yeah i mean and, and it still holds on to just a touch i mean we might be one to one and a half play-doh yeah um and and even after an extended time uh in in punchins it's still it, you know we don't go down to just zero yeah. which is great it, yeah. it, it's um it, sure, it, sure it keeps just a a, a touch of uh of, of body there, which is nice. So it, it, it behaves well and didn't, didn't get too, um, too dry or at least seemingly dry. There's still a nice, especially in punch and one, it's just, it, there's a nice, uh, amount of body that I think is even better than our, our, our second punch in that just, it's like, wow. Yeah. There's, there's some body for being a, you know, a, a 4%, right. uh, grisette. As we were tasting it earlier, no, I was really struck, you know, specifically by that kind of white grape, uh, white wine character to it, but also the way that it finished with just a little hit of bitterness, you know, not, not big, 
but just enough so that you had you know that fruity character on the front you had that kind of grape and lemon you know note the lemon note you know pushing that that kind of uh acidity you know piece of it but then that that white grape piece and then that just very slight bitterness came in and just boom you know just just quickly cleaned it at the at the very end so that it didn't feel bigger than it was you know and i think that's one of the things that hits me with a lot of that more fruity approach to you know farmhouse or grisette is that when they get too fruity then they feel bigger than they are you know it feels like it's sweeter than it actually for is. sure and I, I, that's, that's great to hear because that's that's really kind of the intent i mean we i mean i wine drinking like i i love to speak to people who aren't necessarily a beer drinker but but our our wine drinkers and and you know you if you like a nice dry sauvignon blanc um i mean that's going to kind of give you what this beer is giving you right like you know like the, the bitterness washing away is giving you some and, and the dry and the dryness to contribute to that make you want to keep drinking more of it um otherwise you you get a lingering sweetness that you know isn't that enjoyable right so sure and along with that kind of keeping that body um is uh is a high mash temperature um so we're mashing it you know one 157 upwards of 160 fahrenheit yeah um keeping those long chain dextrins available um to not be fully fermented and so that's you know every time we brew this it's uh, a nice hot mash and um, I think that definitely helps such a, such a small gravity beer that we, right. we need to kind of um, give those bugs and that uh, that yeast a, a, a challenge to, to eat it all down. And definitely a single infusion mash because you are on a pretty small 10 barrel system here and uh, making it work for. <laughs> for oh, yeah, we've, we've tried. Every, <laughs> we, we've done steps. We've done it all. Um, it, it, it doesn't work as well. So yeah, we've mastered yeah, the yeah. single infusion. <laughs> well, <laughs> sure. Maybe not mastered. Yeah. yeah. We're pretty good at it. And, and we get great results with the single right, infusion right. And, and, and go in hot, keep it, you know, in this particular beer. And, and it's fine because we are yeah, doing a, a protein rest, acid sure. rest and ramping up. I mean, it's uh, we just haven't noticed a, a discernible difference to, to really uh, spend the extra time to do it. In, right. in, in a uh, in a beer like this. So especially um, one that's going to sit there for years before. Uh, yeah. 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 Well, let's let's actually pivot now and talk a little bit about uh, the brews, the beers that you brew with quite yeast, because you've uh, you've been playing with this across the spectrum of beers. And it certainly fits within this, you know, fun, wonky, historical, uh, you know, farmhousey approach that uh, you also love. And, and then, of course, after quite, we can use that as a segue into talking about uh, IPA because you even, you know, brew some hoppy beers with uh, quite yeast. But before we do that, are you working on a new sour beer? Fermentus, the obvious choice for beverage fermentation, now offers an expanded range of dry bacteria for the production of sour beers. To learn more about how Fermentus can improve the quality of your fermentation and for the latest on their exciting new product releases, visit Fermentus.com. Also, as a brewery owner, you know how important it is to keep your machines running so you don't have to deal with the hassle caused by contamination, recalls, and downtime. Clarion makes food-grade lubricants to protect your equipment from the wear and tear that results in breakdowns that cut into your bottom line. Clarion gives you peace of mind so you can focus on what you do best, pouring out great tasting beverages. Learn more at www.clarionlubricants.com. So, yeah, let's talk about the quike thing, uh, you know, especially for a small brewery like you all, um, you know, quike yeast seems to 
be, you know, it's both a creative and a technical benefit for you. You can explore brewing that way, but then it also moves pretty quickly through the brew house. Um, talk to me about uh, some of the more interesting uh, beers that you've made with Quike. Sure. So um, I forget what year it was, um, 2018. Um, so we did a collaboration with our, our good buddies, Crane Brewing, uh, up in, uh, in Kansas City. And we put together an idea for a, uh, a, a traditional Norwegian farmhouse ale. Um, so we decided on uh, using a, a particular quike uh, yeast, a uh, cornol from Hornendal, um, is, is a, a, it offers a, a kind of a warm orange marmalade character. Um, big ester profile and, um, you know, obviously a, a fast, vigorous fermentation um, done in a few days. But we wanted to um, use an open fermentation uh, like they like uh-huh. they, like they do uh, in Norway. And, and we um, also wanted to use uh, juniper branches as they do. So, Just to re- reduce pressure in the headspace and allow yeah. it to, to breathe. And, and create nice, big, full ester production yeah. and, and feel like with uh, um, the less head pressure um, than the, the, the better uh, bouquet of, of, of ester profile that we could create, similar to like th- what they're doing over there. Um, so we used our, our cool ship um, open fermenter uh, to, uh, um, to brew this beer. And we can get into details on sure, it. Sure, let's talk about um, it. So, yeah, Norwegian raw ale. So um, we use traditional raw ale. Traditional methods, uh, uh, very hot mash. I, I yeah. think I think our uh, our strike water was was one sixty. I mean, we were we were mashing at like uh, one hundred and sixty Fahrenheit, no boil. Uh, we um, brought it up to about one hundred and eighty Fahrenheit, um, just to um, kill anything, um, right? And uh, that we didn't want in there. Um, the day before brewing, uh, we took our our pickup truck out to um, a farm that we. Uh, get our blackberries from and we do a few different projects with and and cut down uh eastern red cedar which falls into the juniper family and um so filled the pickup bed full of that and then filled our hot liquor tank with juniper branches and then uh brought temps up to 180 fahrenheit uh, and then after reaching that temp uh cut it and then just steeped it like tea overnight so we walk into the brew house and it just smells like a like a forest in here. Yeah. Amazing. Right. Um, and we use that as our as our strike and our and our sparge water. Uh, we threw a, a few branches into our, our, our mash tun as well. Um, and uh, so we, we had a nice juniper character throughout our, our, our brew process with it. Um, and then, uh, Nathan, uh, do you want to add anything on that? Um, well, so, yeah, all the brewing water was juniper, obviously. And then. Um, you mentioned the open fermentation. So um, our cool ship is a uh, converted horizontal milk tank that sure, uh, sure. that has been really just that we found for next to nothing. And but it's been it's been the greatest vessel for us. We've done we've done uh, we've got a bunch of uh, you know uh, uh, spontaneous beer in barrels over there doing weird stuff, and um, we've been able to use it for open fermentation on a number of things, including this. Uh, you know, this yeast uh, is some of the most bizarre yeast, uh, you know, you'll ever come across. Right. And, and uh, in, a, in an open fermentation format, uh, it really shows that we had, uh, you know, these basketball size plastic bubble, plasticky bubbles. For, for just, a, I mean, partially because <laughs> of all the protein in the right, word from right. no, no boil. And um, but it gave us, you know, 
it gave us the most amazing results. Uh, it's, it's a beer that we we love and we've repeated a few times now. And this one's yeah. pushing trees, pushing trees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which you also won a GABF medal for. We did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I got oh, a gold on that. Um, Michael Reynolds, uh, a great friend of ours, who is now uh, brewing at Alma Mater. Yeah, uh, good buddies of ours. So he comes down. We had kind of put this recipe together. Um, you know, talking over the phone and through email, and um, so we brew it together. Um, and, uh, had a awesome day brewing it. It was on 420 of 18, I believe. And, um, yes, we definitely, uh, uh, enjoyed the day and <laughs> had, well, you can do that no, in this state, right? Yeah. No, well, I mean, no. yes. Oh, no. Oh, oh, wait, sorry. That's Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's every state that surrounds yeah. us. But yeah. anyways, it was, we had a good time. That's true. Out in Colorado, it's not even a thing. Like, right. oh, yeah, yeah, of course yeah. you can. Yeah. Um, so one interesting thing here, or, you know, super interesting beer, super weird yeast. That's just a, a monster. Um, and the weird giant, like mylar balloon looking bubbles, uh, just crazy. <laughs> and, 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 and we pitched it, uh, like 99 Fahrenheit. Wow. And, wow. um, it just, it went to town. Now we, we added a, a touch of lactobacillus. Okay. Um, so Michael brought that down from crane, uh, their, their, their house lactoculture and, um, uh, we pitched that. Um, we let um, fermentation roll like probably four or five days. So you know, maybe fr- Friday, brew Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. By Tuesday, um, we then racked the beer to a stainless vessel where we let it um, kept it at, at still at you know ambient temperature um, and and let it just kind of um, condition for a while. Um, so that was more or less the, the, the basic process of, of what we used. And then we, um, I think keg conditioned this beer oh. as well. And, um, just to kind of keep it as, as kind of, kind of old world as possible. And, um, it kept a nice big body and, uh, was, a, a nice balance of, uh, of trees and acidity and just a, a touch of acidity, um, and, and, uh, reached out to Lars, um, and kind of, we got to, we got to shout out Lars blog. Yeah. Yeah. Lars blog. Uh, awesome guy. We wouldn't be brewing these beers without his, uh, his, uh, awesome research and, and, and killer blog. So, um, that's, that's how we learned how to brew this beer. Lars is indeed fantastic. And, uh, everyone listening to this podcast who subscribes to craft beer and brewing magazine, which should be every one of you, right? Uh, we'll get to next year. Lars is going to, to pen the style school column for craft beer and brewing oh, magazine cool. and explore, variety of farmhouse ale traditions uh you know from various parts of europe and the world and uh yeah we're excited to have him on board with craft beer and that's great we were you know we we you know were inspired by and followed his blog for for a period of time uh and then we're able to send him some of this beer especially after we won the gold for it right um and uh we you know got got some you know, feedback from him that we were really excited about so nice nice yeah lars is a great guy so big big props to lars this wouldn't happen without uh all his awesome research and and uh sharing of, of all the things he's found yeah as i'm as i'm smelling this it's this you know curious mix of it's i wouldn't even call it woody you know but you're right there's that little almost juniper berry-ish but not quite berry you know quality to it a little bit of of greenness something a we, lot of like um you know just this edge of green tropical fruit too it's something we found is that the you know the wood character the tree character sort of reacts like hops like you know some of the really delicate uh, aspects of it fade quickly um 
Uh, some of it sticks around, but then it changes over time. So it's really cool to see how this thing evolves and the similarities between a tree branch and a, and a hop. Yeah, indeed. You know, I mean, using, uh, you know, tree branches as, uh, as, uh, you know, as, as you would hops. And uh, it's it's a fun way to see how how these kind of age out. But you weren't using yeah. them like you'd use hops. You were, yes. you were we, steeping them and then using yeah. them in oh, the sure. water, which is it's funny. And you don't know this because you haven't heard it, but it got, does fall back to a conversation I had with uh, Marika and Aaron at Scratch because they were talking about using tree elements. And in that conversation, they were talking about like we first tried to use them like hops and tried to. You know, yeah, in the you know post fermentation and as, as this kind of dry tree process, and it's like it didn't work that way. Like, but it worked when we put it in at the very front and we went through this cooking. And so, oh, cool. it, it does seem like, yeah, you know, by doing it, that you know, obviously this is a no boil beer, and so you're not, you know, you're only getting it so hot, but it is sitting there a long time under some temperature in order to kind of you know foster this extraction process. But then you're right, it goes through this transformative yeast process also you're almost biotransforming the tree here aren't you <laughs> for sure and and we found that steeping the branches in the hot liquor tank overnight hitting 180 and then just letting it steep overnight created just that was the uh the the tree elixir that we we wanted to sprinkle over our our, our grain bed and, and yeah that that that's really kind of what one of the bigger kind of like pow uh you know uh, impacts of, of the trees had was was that overnight steep and we, th we threw a few branches into our mash tun and then we would finish in our open fermenter our our, uh, our uh, whatever we call it our we call it the delorean is what we call the it the delorean because it has two, your time machine it has two doors that open up similar to the delorean oh, and stainless okay. steel so it, it, it kind of reminds you of, of a delorean but anyways we we threw branches in uh, to that as well, a couple of big ones, right? Cool looking. You got you know, the the, the Instagram shot oh, on that. So is, good is, for the grams, <laughs> priceless. Um, so adding a bit more character as well as it, as we had a hot fermentation. Um, so every step of the way, we have these these uh, you know tree branches, and um, it's uh, it's interesting how you know af and after bio transformation, uh, rigorous you know fermentation and then this is you know we've got you know two years on this one here um right, acidity right. Has, has has popped a little more on it and not in a negative way yeah um entering it into competition you know we'd want acidity to be a touch lower but um as far as it, it as a drinking notes on it um i'm loving this right now sure sure no you're right it is you know it, it's but because it's a lacto acidity and it, you know it's a kind of straightforward lacto you know acidity and it adds that kind of you know it helps sell the fruitiness like you know it almost feels like this you know extra citrus acidity it, to it. it really accentuates the like the orange ester which we talked about before i mean it's like i'm salivating as i'm drinking it because it's it's so it's like it's like you know kind of a, uh, a kind of a tart orange orange juice i can see that you know i grew up in florida and so we would you know fresh squeeze orange orange right. juice and you know it tastes like unsweetened fresh mm -hmm. squeezed orange juice before you know a company might pour a whole bunch of sugar in it to make it make you think that you like it more that way um it's what oranges actually taste like right you know lars would say keep the acidity down you know? yeah <laughs> but you know that was his biggest no he said it's very good but a little more sour than it would traditionally be. But. Sure. In sure. this sense, now when we first brew, yeah, it's it's it. You know, the evolution is uh, is is great. But yeah, Lars, sure. 
Yeah. So you've also explored using quite yeast in other, you know, forms of beer, you know, hoppy, you know, focused beers. Um, talk to me a little bit about some of those experiments and, uh, you know, how that quite yeast you works with, uh, you know, say a, a more almost IPA ish approach to, uh, to beer. We've recently done one, uh, uh, with, uh, the guys out of ghost town brewing, out in Oakland, California, that um, came out really nice. It, you know, obviously, it ferments fast. Um, it gives us a lot of uh, fruit esters that that are you know, go hand in hand with an IPA. We've also, um, uh, with a different strain, uh, done some, you know, uh, quote unquote lagers that are, you know, that that, that <laughs> ferment extremely clean. Sure, um, sure. It's amazing. It's I mean, some lager like it, beers made with right, white yeast. Right, sure, right, sure. Oslo. Oslo, yeah, yeah, okay. and um, but it, I mean, man, it worked great. Um, uh, able to, to, you know, turn a lager type beer in in just a you know, in 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 the time it would take you to norm, you know, turn an IPA basically. Sure. Um, so, yeah, shout out to uh, the Yeast Bay. Um, and so Nick uh, was like, "Man, you want to brew an IPA with some? Um, I would recommend this from Garden Kuwaik." And so it's huge ester profile, uh, almost no phenol, um, nice uh, kind of mixed fruit, but big kind of cantaloupe melon thing going on. And uh, we brewed a beer called Crossing Paths, and uh, it worked great. It's a relatively high attenuator and uh, just offers nice esters that work with any kind of uh, Pacific Northwest hop or or beyond. I, I uh, was definitely happy with it and would brew with it again. Um, so, I mean, there's a so much diversity as far as what you can use with these uh quite yeasts and there's there's more options now as far as do you want to brew a nice clean lager like beer do you want to brew a traditional norwegian farmhouse ale um or do you want to brew ipas i mean there's 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 a nice catalog of availability so we're uh we're big advocates of the uh of, of this uh newfound uh, yeast or i shouldn't say newfound but newly resurrected sure, yeast that's being sure. used here in the uh in north america now there have to Maybe not be downsides, but different challenges compared to the way that you you know might use other kinds of sack strains. What you know how how has using it using these quike strains been different than say a, a London Ale three or a USO five or you know type fermentation? You know, um, we can treat them relatively. Uh, the same we, we look at uh, apparent attenuation levels so uh, we might uh, ferment a bit warmer yeah so say we we might uh, with a, a london ale three or a or a conan type strain where you know maybe we're, we're at you know 152 to 154 fahrenheit for a, a you know a normal uh you know a new england style ipa uh maybe we'll ramp it up a bit because we're going to get higher uh, attenuation levels so maybe we'll bump it up oh, to one, smash higher and make it 156 so to 158 is uh quite as low yeah um and so you know uh, a slight mash adjustment um uh, might be one of the few things that we do and then also uh pitching temp um you know uh, we might uh, pitch it you know 176 to 180 um not all the way up on the scale of where it can go but um definitely uh um we'll, we'll knock out uh, a bit warmer as well uh without any um off character any oxygenation uh, concerns with it? 
and just do it as you would normally? Yeah, Relatively the same. Um, now, in our Norwegian farmhouse, uh, we we add hardly any oxygen, stress it out a bit. Um, yeah. I feel, and, and with the open fermentation and lower oxygen levels, we just pick up oxygen as we uh, sure. bring the wort into the uh, in, into the open fermenter, and we so we just pick up ambient air with it. Um, feel that kind of helps with it with the ester profile. Um, so we might bring uh, oxygen levels down a bit with it as well, even even brewing like an IPA style beer um, because it's a it's a super hardy yeast that can that can stand almost anything. So um, if you want more uh, ester profile, just stress it out a little bit, and it can uh, it, it can definitely um, show up uh, as uh, with 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 nice uh, flavor character from from a little bit lower oxygen. Can make your quake yeast. Yeah. Uh, you know that's one thing. Show more you know, character for in, in the cellar. The times for you know, when sitting, you know, dormant in a, in a brink, like uh, it stays active. Yeah. Uh, whereas, yeah, 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 you wait. A, you know, you wait a couple of weeks on a on, on a on a regular sack yeast, and, and oh, we waited too long. But that it, that that stuff's going to be ready for you when, <laughs> pretty much whenever. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great from a production yeah, standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. You can bring it back from the dead. I mean, it's it's uh you could leave some in a brink for weeks, a month. I think we, we used some Oslo that had been sitting back that's there for for you know a, a couple of months, and um, we fed it some wort, and it was just ready to rock and roll again. It's <laughs> the, the stuff is like uh, is is unstoppable, bulletproof, which is you know great. Uh, on on a lot of different levels, you know, it's uh, sure. it's uh, you know, so you wonder the history of this stuff and and and, and what uh, what it went through because it's uh, it's some of the hardiest uh, sack yeast uh, we've ever used. Well, it lived on a wreath, so you know it's going to be great in the brinks. So. Right, right. That's amazing stuff. Amazing stuff. Um, what's uh, you know, what's the next uh, quake? based project that you guys are uh, excited or interesting in i mean i know you have to have some ideas I mean, we really, I, I, I know there's a lot of brewers out there that have gone you know ha, have, have gone crazy with this stuff and I, I feel like we've we've really just begun to scratch the surface um you know we've done a couple things we you know, I, I, you know like before you mentioned the farmhouse the ipa loggers but you know i think we're just really just scratching the surface like i think implementing that more into other styles is 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 gonna happen um Definitely impressed with the Oslo. Um, doing more uh, lager esque beers uh, with Oslo is, is something that um, we were pretty intrigued by. On uh, the couple of times we used it, doing like a, a Keller style beer, and um, we're like, man, quick turn, nice and clean. It's just a it, it, it's a fun uh, off the cuff yeast to use that uh, we can get relatively quick turns on. So uh, I'd, I'd say we'd, we'd kind of go down the route of, of some cleaner. Uh, style beers with it um and of course when we hit april again next year we're gonna we're gonna do our traditional uh norwegian farmhouse ale as well yeah yeah uh you have a small system here and not a whole bunch of tanks and so sometimes that speed becomes an important piece of the equation being able to kind of move through and make these beers um you know making lagers means a lot of tanks and a lot of time right yeah right yeah. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about, again, hoppy beers. I know I've, I mentioned at the top and we were talking before we started the podcast because you in particular, as you're in day one of a three day process of brewing your what you might call a flagship wizard of hops, um, the one beer that gets out into regular distribution you know, that you all produce, um, you have it's a three day process where you fill a 30 barrel fermenter for three days of brewing but you mentioned that uh incognito 
has started to play a big role in the way that you use hops um, and that you've been exploring using incognito along with uh, CO2 extracts of hops uh, in order to get the right kind of flavor consistently, but also, you know, certainly mitigate losses that happen out here in your small system. Talk to me a little bit about uh, getting in and using incognito on, in your uh, you know, regular brewing. Um, we've been using uh, some, you know, a variety of, of extracts and uh, hop products for since since we always looking for the next thing, right? Right. Um, um, Incognito especially has come along and allowed us to, you know, maintain the, the the flavor and aroma that we're we're after, and then also increasing our yield by kind of a ridiculous amount. I mean, when we first started, you know, uh, with this thirty barrel, which is uh, a drastic increase in tank size for us, as you can see. Sure, uh, we started sure. with four or seven barrel fermenters, and we, you know, were able to replace a couple with fifteens. And during during COVID shutdown, that's where the big fooder used to live. Uh, and we realized we needed to get some, you know, along with adding a canning line, we we needed to get, be able to, you know, put some beer out onto the market. And so we, you know, started doing that, and um, you know, we 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 yield you know, 21 or so barrels out of that 30 uh, with, you know, we do a pretty aggressive dry hop rate um, along with a very aggressive, you know, whirlpool rate. And so yield was, was really suffered from that. Um, yeah, we, you know, a variety of, of things, but uh, nothing in fact that it has impacted it more so than I'd say incognito, like where we've basically replaced, you know, all pellets out of whirlpool now. Uh, allowing us to, you know, uh, I mean, this last run, we we were over 28 barrels yielded from the fermenter. Wow. And that's so a, from 21 and that's, to 28. And that's still, that's still with, with these, the same three brews. Uh, that's, and that's still with a, you know, very aggressive uh, dry hop. So um, it's been a huge difference for us. And the flavor is great. Um, I, I mean, I, I only see us implementing that more into other brews for sure. Yeah, totally. Um, we're, we're we're loving the yield that we're getting out of the kettle, um, and then that allows us to still go big on our on our on our dry hop with pellets, and, and knowing that we've got pulling a, a barrel and a half more out of out of each uh, a boil out of out of the kettle each time, and so that stacks up. And then um, it's 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 amazing what we're saving on it. It's a nice full spectrum product. Um, we'd heard the guys talking about it for a while, but we we definitely love it. Either using you know, nothing but incognito along with some other, you know, uh, CO2 extract stuff, which is what we're doing on, on Wizard of Hops um, or, you know, uh, mixing in some pellets along with incognito to just get kind of a, a, a broader spectrum of, of the hop profile that we're trying to reach in the kettle. Um, either way we do it, depending on what beer we're doing, we're, we're definitely fans of it. Now, you also found that uh, temperature plays a role in the impact of, of how you use it. Talk to me a little bit about that. Um, we've gotten to where we're, we're, we're giving a, you know, a, a really a hot, it's uh, not coming in, in the boil. It's coming in, in the whirlpool now, right? In the whirlpool. And we're, you know, we're, 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 we're basically adding it at knockout, you know, minus a few degrees, uh, minus a few degrees. Well, I mean, let's say, say we're, you know, I'd say average, we're adding it at two Oh five or, yeah, we've experimented with it, like you know, all over the place. Two ten, yeah. and, and and thought, okay, we're we're picking up, you know, a, a touch more than what we're looking for this beer. Taking it down to like two hundred five to two hundred two has been kind of a sweet spot on on a specific beer. Um, 
And, you know, it's a very flowable product. We keep it cold, but when we take it out, um, you know, first we just try sitting on top of the, the boil kettle um, and it's it's still a little sludgy. Um, so we're, we're taking our 180 degree um, hot water from our, our uh, hot water line and um, soak, giving it a bath in that. And the, the more flowable the incognito is, uh, the better it's going to blend in to the to the wort. Um, and depending on what temperature the wort is as well, but you know, the, the idea is to, to really get it, uh, blended in. So, um, heating it, um, the jug of, of, uh, uh, incognito is definitely helpful in getting it, uh, blended in. So that's, that's one, one thing we've taken away from it. Um, and then when you, you do choose to, from time to time, throw some extra pellets in there just to, you know, just, just for the character that it adds. You can't get every hop, uh, available yeah, in incognito. Yeah. So, so that's the problem. You know, I mean, you're, you're limited on, on uh, diversity of, 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 hops you can have. So sure. Um, wizard of hops, you know, we're, we're looking for, for big yield on that. And, and we used kind of a, uh, some, you know, the incognito, um, we, we maybe cut down a touch on, on what we had as far as pellet goes, but it's, um, we're not seeing any, any real, negative uh uh differences in 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 our flavors when we're doing a nice big dry hop with it so um, that works great there but in other beers you know uh we're uh we're definitely blending in some some pellets with it as well and so you you know having that 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 pellet along with the incognito you just uh it it offers just a, a touch more complexity in some beers and and so um but then at the end of the day you know if you've got four pounds of, of hot pellets, uh, as opposed to 14 beforehand. I mean, you're still, you know, taking a lot more beer to your fermenter. Uh, so it's, uh, it's, it's, it's been a fun product and we heard guys talking about it for the last like year or two since it's been out and we're like, yeah, sure. let's jump on that. And, and you did it. It's been, and then yeah. you're like, why didn't we do this sooner? It's yeah. a, it's a nice product. <laughs> well, and there's just so many more coming out, you sure, know, just being sure. at CBC this year, there's, you know, they've all got, you know, different. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the same, same idea, but going, and we've been talking sure. about it. When is this going to come? And I'm sure they're all working on it, but that's, a, that's the, that's the next step is, you know, we're, we're in, instead of losing, you know, a whole bunch of beer through dry hop, then maybe we start replacing that. I mean, I'm all for it. Sure. Incognito Salvo, I guess is Salvo, another. Yeah. Salvo, yeah. Hopsteiner yeah. props there. Right. Um, yeah. And, and so I know that's a, a new product on the market, but right. I'm definitely right. interested to see how that works, that's you know? Um, from- yeah. Yeah. Let's uh, let's back out a little bit. What's uh, what's the big picture goal for Central Standard? What is what do you think success looks like for you all? Um, and where do you hope to be? You know, in five years or ten years? I know when we started, we wanted to create a place where people wanted to hang out, right? I mean, I think that's if you it's just like the old college brewery, parties, right? I mean, and that's just, yeah. it's so important, right? I mean. You can have the best product, whether it be food or drink or whatever. But if your place sucks, I mean, you know, so the, so there's that. And so and, you know, I also go to a liquor, go to liquor stores and it's tough, man. Like th- that game is tough being on, on shelves. And, you know, we're, we've delved into it a touch, but I think the magic is the tap room. And, and um, COVID allowed us to expand our space outside. Uh and then now we're going to be able to keep that, and that's that's a and basically doubling our capacity, right? So, so that's a, it's a huge thing for us, and then you know maybe having other spaces, uh, other bars to belly up to, um, you know, I, I think that's where I see things. You've built a funky kind of eclectic tap room here. Looks like it could be a you know mid-century modern consignment shop of sorts. <laughs> of uh, that's thanks know. to Ian's wife, Summer. Yeah. Yeah. Summer, always 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 killing it on that design. 
always hitting the hitting the Facebook marketplace oh, and yeah. the Craigslist. <laughs> We've got couches like you know stashed back. We rotate them out. You know? Sure, sure. Um, but yeah, definitely a production facility uh, in another location where we could then foster other tap rooms uh, within the city is is an idea and and. and package more product is, is something that we've always talked about and um we're looking at pulling the trigger pre uh pandemic um so it's something we're still looking at but we definitely just kind of slowed down and taking care right. of, of our our current location and um taking it easy there's no rush but um we do see uh, a production facility um at another spot uh, on the horizon at some point we're looking we're thinking sure sure i mean you can't not do that no yeah. no well, I appreciate you guys talking to me about this. GND chillers will hit 28 degrees without breaking a sweat. Pathfinder and pure seltzer nutrient ensures reliable and complete fermentation of a seltzer base. The craft concentrate blends from Old Orchard are packed with real fruit first. Profil can fillers from ProBrew use rotary, true counterpressure gravity filling and seaming tech. Try fermentous dry bacteria for your next sour beer and make your system 100% food safe with Clarion lubricants. Of course... If you'd like to support this podcast, go to beerandbring.com and click on the subscribe button. We bring you great brewing content from some of the world's most inspiring brewers in our all-access subscriptions bundle magazines with exclusive digital content and video classes that you can't find anywhere else. We have some great video classes primed to release over the next few months, and you won't want to miss them. Um, Ian and Nathan, if people want to learn more about Central Standard Brewing, where do they find you all? Um, at drink CSB on the Facebooks and the Instagrams. Uh, we're also, uh, right just east of downtown in, uh, downtown Wichita, Kansas. So if you're driving through, uh, make a stop and come see us. It's exactly what I was doing and it's exactly what I did. Hey, uh, thanks. Uh, thanks to both of you. It's been great to talk about Brent with you on the podcast. Cheers. Thank Cheers, you, man. Cheers. This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrew.